Hi, and welcome to the Microbiome Matters podcast, a show brought to you by the Yakult Science Team, the team on a mission to make the science on gut health easy to digest. This podcast covers all matters of the gut microbiome, exploring that magnificent ecosystem residing in each and every one of us. And each week, we're joined by guests from clinical practice and research who will bring you their expert insights on the topic. So if you're a healthcare professional, make sure you like, subscribe, and tune in each week to learn exactly why the microbiome matters. Hello, and welcome to the Microbiome Matters podcast. I'm Nathan. And I'm Britt. And today, we are joined by immunologist and author, Dr. Jenna Machoki. Jenna is on a mission to unravel the science around the immune system and help people decode exactly what it takes to be well in the modern day. She has over 20 years experience researching the impact of diet and lifestyle on the immune system and her curiosity about the human body in health and disease has driven her research, deepening her understanding of both what we eat and how we live affects our health and well-being. Jenna is an immunology lecturer and researcher at the University of Sussex, chair of several degree programmes and is an editor of a scientific journal. In Series 6, we are talking to our expert guests about how the gut microbiome may be an important consideration at key periods in the lifespan. Today, we'll be talking to Jenna, exploring both the immune system and the gut microbiota, and the complexities behind their interactions. Right, so before we just get started, just wanted to say thank you and welcome, Jenna, for joining us today. And I hope our listeners are as excited to listen to what you have to say as we are. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. But before we actually get on to the main questions, just looking back at your career and some of the amazing achievements, was there any points in your career where you've ever felt that gut feeling or where you followed your gut and where did it lead you in your career? <laughs> That's a good one to start with. Um, uh, I, I definitely doing my PhD Viva, I had th- that gut feeling. <laughs> in the morning before yeah. I went in uh, and felt full of adrenaline and very, very nervous. Um, but got to the other side of that. Um, and yeah, then probably just uh, deciding to start applying what knowledge I had about the immune system to my own life and um, following my research interests. And then that was what took me to really start to look at the gut. Uh, and the microbiome and then I moved um, to Switzerland to pursue that a little bit more a few years ago so uh, definitely uh, gut feelings have been part of what shaped my career. Yeah that's really great to hear it's so interesting to hear how all our guests just take that leap you know follow their gut to and how it just leads them into different areas of their career and how it's helped them progress as well. So um, first off we just wanted to understand and get a little bit of an understanding about the immune system. It is generally accepted that the immune system has two major responses, the innate and the adaptive immune system. Could you please describe the differences between these two systems? Yeah, that's a good place to start. It's The immune system is probably one of the most complicated systems in the human body outside of maybe the brain. Um, and it's a fairly new area of science. So it branched off of microbiology, the study of microbes, um, and became its own field more recently. So I think it's still there's still a lot to be discovered within the immune system. But we obviously have to categorize it somehow and have a way to um, decide how we organize all our knowledge around the 
immune system and it starts with these two arms as you said the innate immune system and the adaptive and the innate as the name suggests is something that we're sort of born with it's um it, it encoded by our genes and it's our kind of first line response um it's uh made up of things like you know even the the barriers of our body our skin the lining of our digestive tract the lining of the airways these body barriers are part of how you know i teach the innate immune system to my students at the university of sussex and underneath these barriers we have a whole host of different immune cells that are just primed and ready for anything that might cross that barrier and make us unwell so that could be a virus or a bacteria or even some kind of environmental toxin that we're exposed to that could damage those very delicate barriers um and they Features of the innate that make it um, unique from the adaptive, which I'll go on to describe in a moment, is that the innate is kind of the simplest way to describe it is that it's always going to react the same. Um, it doesn't sort of learn and develop. And I'll, I'll go on to make more sense of that in a moment as I contrast to the adaptive immune system. Um, and it's also always ready. It's, it's sort of an immediate response. It will start um, raising the red flag as soon as something infects us or, or tries to make us unwell. And then on the other side, we have this adaptive immune system, which is, again, as the name suggests, it adapts to the type of challenge that our body is facing. And so that means that it takes some time to create the proper kind of immune response that's very much tailored to that particular germ. So I, one way to think about it is if you go into a shop and, and, and you buy some clothes and they'll all have these generic sizes and you have this sort of, you know, one size fits all. Whereas if you want something very bespoke and specific that fits you like a glove, you would go to a tailor and that would take several days or longer to have that made. So that sort of one size fits all the very, um, quick and easy is the the, adapt, the innate immune system and then getting something tailored to specifically fits you would be the adaptive immune system. And the adaptive immune system has an additional feature that makes it um, unique in that it develops a memory. And so over uh, our lifetime of exposures, it will create a sort of log of everything that we've been exposed to, and it will keep a portion of immune cells behind that can quickly react if we're going to be exposed to that germ again. And a good example is something like chickenpox, which many of us are exposed to um, in childhood. And this leaves us with lifelong immunity. So you retain some of those adaptive immune cells, very specific for chickenpox, and they will protect you for the rest of your life. And the same principle applies to vaccinations, which is why um, a vaccine will deliver a little bit of a germ in a safe way. So you get that adaptive response, like a lock and key, you'll make immune cells that are um, like a little army of them that are very specific for that germ and should provide um, a period of long lasting immunity thereafter. Right, that's great. Just following up from that question as well, as it was uh, delving a deeper dive into the two different immune systems, uh, could you please describe the immune systems themselves that are involved with the phases and what are the phases or responses? Yeah, so the, there's a whole plethora of different immune cells. And once you start to dive into this, you start to realize that we're discovering new immune cells 
all the times. So I don't really want people to get bogged too much down in the weeds of, of these, um, these terms that we give to the immune cells. But really, when we're thinking about those first line innate immune cells, it's things like um, the macrophages and dendritic cells, which are lining the barriers to our body. So these are found lining things like the airways, the digestive tract, the skin, um, and they're sampling and looking around for that, envir that environment for anything untoward. Um, and then they're going to call for backup if they find something that is trying to infect us. And they're going to call in other immune cells from the blood um, that are being um, manufactured in the bone marrow. And these would be things like monocytes and, and neutrophils that can then work together to try and contain that infection. Dendritic cells are really uh, interesting in that they will sample that germ and take pieces of it down to the draining lymph node and recirculating around our body in the lymphatic system, which is a bit like our, our um, uh, blood circulatory system. Uh, they will then uh, show this germ to the T and B cells. These are our adaptive immune cells, and they will be looking for a T or B cell with a receptor on the surface that can recognize that particular germ. And then like a lock and key that will allow those cells to then build an adaptive immune cell army that can go out to the affected tissue and support that innate response in getting rid of the, the infection. That's a great explanation of the cells involved in our immune system and good to hear about the different immune responses. Can you take it back now to the development of the immune system during the early years mm -hmm. and into development um, during childhood? Can the immune system influence the onset of allergies during infancy or childhood? Yeah, so the immune system undergoes a lot of changes um, as an individual person ages um, from the neonatal stage to young child, then a teenager, adult and an older adult. So it's always evolving as we age. Um, and the different components that make up the immune system are kind of like a computer. So some parts are really functioning straight out of the box but then other components must sort of learn the programs and details necessary to function so this is um this basically means that when we're born we kind of have an incomplete immune system it's, it's not yet fully developed um and so it has to then finish off its development um outside of the womb so um after birth and um I mean, in a child, the, I would say the adaptive immune system is really like a blank canvas. We don't have any prior knowledge or exposures to germs. So it's not like a baby is born with already having those adaptive immune T and B cells that are able to sort of fight off common illnesses that would be in that environment. Um, so this is where the child is a bit more vulnerable um, and this sort of constant learning process and accumulating exposures to therefore train and educate the immune system is happening. Um, on the other hand, the innate immune system tends to be pretty um, robust and uh, work very well in, in children. So they do have that, but it's often not enough uh, for certain infections, which is why in some cases, some infections can be really severe particularly for very, very young children when um, the immune system is very immature. Um, and in terms of allergies, I think this is a huge uh, area of research and it's, it's extremely important as well because we know that allergies are massively on the rise. Um, and we know that the immune system is going through this huge period of development uh, during those early years. And 
contrary to what was previously thought, so listeners may be aware of the concept of the hygiene hypothesis. This was developed by Strachan in the 80s, and it's um, really based on observations that he made that um, different living conditions, the number of siblings a child has, um, whether they're in a rural environment or in a city environment, was changing how the immune system was developing and then changing the risk of developing allergies. And that kind of got taken out of context and we, we then developed this kind of narrative, which is common in the media, that we need exposure to infections in order to build our immune system. And actually, that's not entirely true. Exposing people deliberately to infections, A, makes them sick, increases inflammatory burden, and doesn't necessarily um, uh, build the immune response to prevent allergies. It may give that child exposures to an infection that then helps it further down the line um, fend off that specific infection again. Um, and so now it's been updated and sort of reinterpreted as what's known as the old friends hypothesis, um, sometimes known as the reduced biodiversity hypothesis. And so it's not really that we need exposure to the infectious germs to prevent allergies, but what we do know is that we need exposure to the benign, helpful um, germs that are in our environment, that predominate in our gastrointestinal tract. And these microbes are training and educating our immune system in early life, and therefore shaping the trajectory of the immune function and pro protecting from the development of allergies. And what we have realized is that over the last, perhaps since the advent of um, um, antibiotics um, in the sort of post-Second World War period, uh, changes in industrialization, changes in um, exposure to these helpful microbes, more people live in cities, less people are, you know, connected to the soil and green space. Um, the diet, uh, the level of fiber in our diet has vastly reduced, use of antibiotics has increased, and we're, we're kind of killing off these good microbes and we're reducing our exposure so the reduced biodiversity hypothesis or reduced exposure to these helpful microbes and our immune systems are not getting the correct training and educating in those early years that are really formative for shaping overall immune function and this seems to leave us a little bit more likely to respond to um to allergens and go on and to develop allergies yeah that's some really interesting stuff there i mean when, when you're birthed, your, your immune system is not just automatically there. You have to develop the immune system through exposures. And it's really interesting how you said it's through correct exposure, not just some random microbes thrown here and there. You, you need the helpful microbes in the um, early exposure to help build that healthy immune system. So currently moving on to from childhood uh, exposure to more elderly and adult exposure. Uh, there are many common immunity myths around circulating. And one of the common myths is that as we age, our immune system seems to become less effective. Is this statement true? And how does the immune system change throughout adulthood as we age? Yeah, so I think, um, that, as I mentioned in the beginning, there's definitely these sort of shifting sands in terms of the immune function um, throughout the entire lifetime. And um, very much the uh, younger 
uh, stage as, as very formative in that training and educating the immune system, setting us up for proper immune function. And then during adulthood, it's relatively um, dependent on how you're sort of living your life, you know, that you're properly nourished, you're avoiding nutritional deficiencies, you're not um, over or underweight and have a healthy level of activity, a healthy level of muscle mass, um, all of these kind of factors. Things like pregnancy can certainly um, induce a dramatic shift in immune function because we know that the immune cells themselves have receptors for many of the key hormones that are involved in the um, pregnancy, so estrogen and progesterone being um, two that are quite notable. Um, and then as we proceed through um, adulthood, uh, probably around uh, between age 60 to 70, depending on the overall sort of health status of the individual, we start to see uh, immune function declining. And here, I think it's quite useful to make reference to that innate and adaptive, those innate and adaptive arms of the immune system. So the innate immune system, this first line of defense, it tends to sort of raise the inflammatory signal early on as soon as something, um, you know, disrupts the homeostasis. And this becomes a little bit looser in its responsiveness, which means it's more likely to just sort of spit out inflammation unnecessarily. So this kind of raises the sort of background level of inflammation in the body. So this is one thing that happens as we age, and therefore we, we start to get what's known as chronic inflammation, which we now know is a sort of proxy to many uh, non-communicable diseases that are huge public health issues currently. And on the other hand, our T and B cells, which make up the adaptive immune system, actually just start to become, let's say, like less able to perform well. So they're not quite as good at doing their job, producing antibodies and, and the various different mechanisms by which they protect us. Um, so as you can imagine, we have this sort of elevated background inflammation and we have a little reduced responsiveness of the adaptive immune system. And this sort of sets a, uh, an environment for making us more vulnerable to um, anything that might uh, challenge our immune function, so infections or um, environmental insults, etc. Um, and I, I think we saw that play out with, with COVID very early in the pandemic that was, um, you know, very much dis discussed in the media, how we identified that older um, people were um, more vulnerable. Um, and then a lot of the measures that came in were to try and protect that particular group of people. Um, but I, that's not to say that you're, you know, we now know that our, your immunological age doesn't necessarily match your chronological age. So you can take steps throughout your life to um, have a young and healthy immune system even in you know your 60s 70s and beyond and i think that should hopefully give people um you know some encouragement that there are things we can do but as i always say we have a kind of short-term view about immune function we're like oh it's going into winter we better grab some vitamin c rather than thinking oh you know it's not just for this season it's it's for life you know what we do now can really help us decades down the line and sort of having that long view of immune function is something that i really encourage yeah, so so would you say rather than just sudden changes in immune system function, it's more of just a steady change as you gain up, get older then? Yes, yeah. I mean, I guess it's like, you know, driving a car. You know, we, we all get given a different model. Some people might genetically have a Lamborghini. Some of us might, you know, have a Ford Fiesta. But how you look after that car will determine how long it will run functionally. Um, but like everything in life, 
there'll be wear and tear and it will sort of gradually decline um, towards the end of its lifespan. I really like that car example that you've used. With the ageing immune system in mind and wear and tear, like in the example of a car during its lifetime, what does the research suggest about nutrition and the gut microbiota and the immune system as we age? How can people look after their immune system with nutrition? Yeah, well, as um, as we've discussed, the, the the microbes in our gut, this um, microbiota, play a really important role in sort of teaching and educating and sort of tuning the function of our immune cells. And this sort of s- roughly seventy percent, they say, of our immune cells are congregated along that digestive tract, and they're really up close and personal with these microbes, and they're able to respond to what those microbes are doing as well as what they're producing, uh, and these sort of post biotics or um, things like short chain fatty acids that are produced in the gut by a healthy microbiota will tone how those immune cells are going to function. And it's not so much about boosting immune system, but actually this is more part of the regulatory arm. It's really important as we age to sort of minimize that chronic inflammation um, and also to really fortify other areas of the body because we know what happens in the gut is then absorbed into the bloodstream and can affect the immune system at all sorts of areas of the body so for example we know that the respiratory tract is really um, influenced by what's happening in the gut so the immune function there um, thinking of those respiratory viruses you know as we go into winter and in terms of the aging immune system I would say that what the research tells us is that again there's sort of no quick fix but we know that the diversity of the microbes in our gut tends to reduce as we get older anyway so trying to do things that can mitigate that are going to be really really important um and that is going to primarily be by you know keeping that diet with the minimally processed plant rich um uh, plant fibers, prebiotic fibers, um, keeping the health of that ecosystem essentially um, as diverse and robust as possible. And I think as we age, the, one of the the sort of biggest levers really is is um, beyond the gut is things like our muscle mass. So our muscles are very rejuvenating for the immune system. So when we're using our our skeletal muscles, so the muscles that we have conscious control over, they're producing um, cytokines that are um, helping mitigate some of that immune aging of the adaptive immune system. And that this is one of the ways we can prevent that immunological age from declining like our chronological age. Um, And so I think, you know, hanging onto your muscle mass gets much harder as you get older you know older people tend to shrink um if you don't use your muscles you lose them because it's quite costly for your body to hang on to it so i would really encourage people to keep up that sort of uh, level of physical activity that involves putting some resistance on your muscles as well yeah that's really good to know to us i didn't actually know that there was a link between skeletal muscle and the immune system so that's really interesting to hear and again it's just repeating the fact how you need to get variety in your diet to help support the gut microbiota, to getting enough fiber, getting enough plants in your diet. That's really important to know. And you briefly mentioned the importance of the gut microbiota and the uh, immune system. But is there anything about the composition of the gut microbiota that can support the immune system? Like anything special around that? 
I mean, there's a there's a lot of work being done in this area, and I mean, I'm sure uh, listeners of of this podcast and will be aware with the explosion that's happened in the research field. Um, and I think really, it's we're we're trying to find a, what are the you know what are the key microbes that need to be in a in in a person's gut to to give the perfect microbiome. And so far, I think the best answer that we have is that the the gut microbiota needs to be um, diverse and abundant and stable. So it needs to have a minimal dysbiosis, so the right microbes in the right proportion. But that might not look the same in every person. I suspect that the the ecosystem is unique to a person um and so you know therefore it's 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 quite hard to pick out you know or we need to have these microbes or you know that those proportions it's going to be really what is that entire community producing and doing um and if it is robust and 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 healthy it probably can deal with sort of a bit of a, an impact from occasional poor diet or um uh, antibiotics but if it's functioning well what is it producing uh and those metabolites of the microbes i think are more important and probably more telling than the microbes themselves because there's probably a lot of overlap between what the different communities are doing within the gut so the microbes are eating what we eat and this is something that i find fascinating because i feel like there's a lot of discussion about what is the perfect diet for a human and then you look all over the planet and you realize you can see people thriving with really different diets and how can that be and it's because we don't even have the genes in our system to be able to break down um, many of the fibers that are found in plant foods we completely outsource the digestion of plant fibers to the microbes in our gut so if you don't have the right microbes, you're probably going to struggle to digest a particular food. And I think that's where we have a lot of perceived food intolerances um, in the modern day. But anyway, that's really important because that gives us that ability to to digest uh, a, a variety of different foods. And those microbes, when they digest that food for us, they do something else for us in that they produce metabolites or postbiotics. Um, and these have hugely powerful immune modulating aspects. So one of the most well studied would be the short chain fatty acids, things like butyrate, um, acetate, propionate. And these are absorbed um, and interact with those immune cells, both in the gut and beyond. And they're really important for shaping our function. In fact, short chain fatty acids are key to uh, developing T regulatory cells. So these are the cells that sort of regulate the rest of our immune system, stopping it going awry and, and developing allergies or autoimmune diseases and ensuring that inflammation doesn't go overboard and start harming our own de delicate tissues. So this is one of the key mechanisms by which the gut microbiota is interacting with our immune system. And then we know in the gut at a local level, there's a certain sampling and interaction physically between the microbes on the lumen, the, gut, the interior side of the gut, and the immune cells on the other side. And then you have that 
single cell barrier in between them, which is the, 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 the barrier that makes up the di digestive tract. And then on the inside of that, you will have the mucus layer um, that then separates again the microbes from the immune system. So you don't actually want those two things side by side because that would give a red flag to the immune system that those microbes have crossed the barrier of the gut and gone beyond where they're kind of considered trespassers and, and germs like any other infectious disease. So it, there really has to be the right kind of compartmentalization within the gut and um, the right thing in the right place. And then the immune cells are able to sample that and tell that everything is, is in a, as it should be. And it creates a sense of homeostasis. It's interesting to hear about the link with the gut microbiota and how it interacts with the immune system and the food that we eat. As you are a keen cook yourself, what foods or nutrients can support the immune system? And have you got any tips for our audience when they're working with patients and clients on nutrition support um, for the, the immune system? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first things I would say is that we have to really move away from this kind of outdated uh, reductionist mindset where we're trying to think of like five, you know, immune boosting superfoods or, the, you know, the couple of key supplements for our immune system. What we have to consider is actually zooming out and looking at the overall diet pattern. So what are you habitually eating across the weeks and months? And this has shown in the research to be a much better indication of the sort of healthfulness of a diet in terms of the immune function. And so I think I would always encourage people to, to look at that diet pattern. So it doesn't matter that maybe on Friday night you went out with friends from work and, you know, had all this sort of processed food and whatever, because the rest of the week, the overall pattern is, is really getting that protein in, which is the building blocks of all those immune cells and antibodies, you know, getting um, enough fiber, you know, in the UK, we're not really meeting half of our fiber needs and understanding that that fiber is fueling those microbes in the gut that are working so hard for your immune system um, and bringing in the diversity of fiber so we do tend to go to the supermarket and, and shop for the same fruit and vegetables and and um, mixing up that shopping basket you know and uh, mixing up the standard classic meals you know the spaghetti bolognese and removing some meat and throwing in some lentils and you don't even realize they're in there but you're just getting in a bit more fiber and diversity i think fermented foods are really really interesting um and there's even more recent data showing that you know people who struggle to tolerate fiber maybe beans and pulses and legumes and nuts and seeds really set off some digestive discomfort because perhaps your microbes are just not uh, just struggling to digest that um, but fermented foods can be much more tolerated by these people and they also have measurable Im improvements in their immune system when they add fermented foods to um, their diet so these are different kinds of fermented yogurts or fermented vegetables like the sauerkrauts and kimchi and then there's also you know things like kefir and kombucha that we're starting to see on the market more and more and I'd always say just check the labels make sure that they do actually contain the live microbes they're not pasteurized or um you know processed in a way that might remove some of those benefits yeah, it's, it's always great giving practical advice to especially our audience so that they can apply this to their own shopping and help them get a variety and especially like you said, getting a more holistic and more bigger view of their diet and not just, for example, just take these five things in one day and your gut microbiota will be happy. You know, it's more just the variety in the diet and getting what you need during the week. So before 
in the previous question, we slightly touched upon some um, common immunity myths. And with regards to you being an author and an academic lecturer, what are the most common immunity myths which you hear about? For example, one is, uh, will my orange juice a day keep the flu away? Yeah, this is a classic. I think people think immune health is um, vitamin C supplements. Yeah. And I still catch my husband doing this even after all these years. So <laughs> some of the old habits die hard. Um, but yeah, so definitely it's more than that. And I would argue that if you're deficient in any of these micronutrients, so the vitamins and minerals, you know, there are several essential ones we need to be getting in our diet, then you could risk... Um, your immune system not functioning properly because it doesn't just use vitamin C. Um, I think people have a reactive stance as well. So once they get sick, then they start going, oh my goodness, now I need to take all the supplements, all the stuff to get well again. But they won't, they'll sort of neglect the basics. So, you know, things like rest and sleep, you know, hydration, uh, you know, nourishing food. Those are really important when we get sick um, and arguably more important than taking supplements and then trying to get on as normal. Um, and I think people don't think about how they go into an illness as maybe determining how they come out of that illness. So we probably, many of us are guilty of not looking after ourselves. And then when we fall sick, we have that reactive, like, oh my God, now I have to like take all the stuff. And, you know, it should be kind of, as I said before, in that for the long game, like doing little things every day to sort of prevent us getting sick in the, in the future. That's great having that myth cleared up. Thanks, Jenna. And of course, lots of people always think about immune, their immune system and are prompted to think about it when they are ill. But there are lots of small changes that we can make to support our immune health long term. And lots of those daily changes and small acts related to our nutrition, but also our lifestyle like sleep habits, for example, that could support our immune system. We've got one question to finish up the episode today, and that is, what's one thing that you do to love your gut and your immune system? Yeah, I mean, I actually um, thought about this a lot over the last year or so because I was writing my second book and I really, um, you know, sometimes having the knowledge isn't enough. But it's like we struggle to put it into action. So I was very much focused on doing small things that are easy to implement um because i think where we often fall down is that we try and completely change our diet and lifestyle overnight and then you know it comes apart by lunchtime because we've had a really busy morning at, at work and i do a little series on social media of like one thing you can do for your, your immune system and and it really is trying to encourage people to just break it down and and say okay it's monday what one thing can i try this week can i try going to bed or, you know, at a consistent time that makes sure I get enough hours of sleep before I need to wake the next day. Um, can I, you know, add a little bit more fiber to my meals across the week? Uh, can I get a little bit more uh, time in the fresh air and green space? Because we know that that's really important for, you know, our gut microbes, our immune health. Um, so I guess the one thing that I do to look after my my gut and my immune health is, is, is lots of little one things and, and fitting them in when I can. Um, and I think that's, you know, doing things that are sustainable. I guess the, the, the big uh, things I anchor to would probably be getting lots of movement in and we know that movement's really important for 
the gut microbes there's a, a bi-directional relationship there and then the other thing is just eating well like really focusing on and getting all that nourishment into my diet and knowing that that's going to make me feel good throughout the day, give me sustained energy, but also it's it's furnishing my immune system with everything it needs in case, you know, that I, I succumb to some of the, you know, uh, winter lurgies and stuff, especially I've got kids in, in school. So there are, you know, little germ factories all mixing in there and some of the personal hygiene is a working progress, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, that's, it's always interesting to hear how our different guests uh, give their different answers to this question. So yeah, um, we have now reached the end of today's episode. Uh, once again, thank you, Jenna, for joining us today and giving us a deeper dive into the immune system and the gut microbiota. Uh, don't forget, if you want to see more from Jenna, you can follow her socials on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Jenna Underscore Machocchi or follow her on Twitter at Dr. JMACC. Or if you prefer something different, why don't you check out her books at uh, Your Blueprint for Strong Immunity and The Science of Staying Well. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Microbiome Matters podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to follow and rate us and visit our website at yakult.co.uk forward slash HCP to make sure that you don't miss out on any future episodes. See you next time.